Are you looking for a memorable getaway for your family that's packed with adventure? Look no further than Lake Erie. Powderhook, in partnership with the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, has all the resources you need to plan your adventure to the walleye capital of the world. The best part is, you don't have to be an experienced angler or own a boat to have a fantastic time on the water. While walleye are the main attraction, Lake Erie also offers excellent fishing for yellow perch, trout, steelhead, salmon, and bass. The options are endless, and there's so much to explore on Lake Erie. Knowledgeable and friendly fishing guides are eager to serve you. Whether you want to hire a charter, secure a seat on a headboat, fish from the shore, ice fish, or do a DIY trip on your own boat, all these options are at your disposal with a bit of planning and preparation. Find everything you need at powderhook.com. That's powderhook.com. We know what's biting and can help you enjoy a wonderful fishing experience on Lake Erie. Hey, it's Captain Justin Leet with Chasing the Sun TV. Join me and Meredith for the best fishing action along the coast of Panama City Beach. Tune in to new episodes every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. River Rats, you are listening to the River Certified Podcast with Spencer Bow and Ryan Tassler and an array of guests where we cover the fun, interesting, and sometimes rugged parts of spending life on or near the water. Okay, what were we talking about? Fat, plump, bait? Oh, your sunfish. Then. Tell, me, tell me more about my sunfish. The ones that we're keeping alive currently in a fish tank? Yeah, so they have an. There's an end game involved to this. We have three. I think there's three, right? Yeah, there's three. Three green sunfish sitting in Weston's tank that he's plumping them up to make them the ideal size for at least a 60 pound flathead. But the reality of the situation is, I'm going to get all hyped up over these green sunfish and them catching the biggest catfish of my life, and they're going to get annihilated by like a two pound flathead within. Or two-pound channel cat within like two minutes of them hitting the bottom. Or soft-shell turtle. Soft-shell turtles, too. We're hoping they're out in the spring when they're tough to get. Right. So we'll uh, we'll tie that one into catfish bait and seasonal preferences and stuff that nobody really cares about because those are the things that seem to matter. But um, all those things aside, like, really, what if you could only fish with one catfish bait for the rest of your life... What are you fishing with? Probably the green sunfish. Really? Not shad? Let's uh, let's say anything. You could use any legal bait. You could use live squirrels if you wanted. Live squirrels. Um, Toad Smith used to say that flatheads, or was it Toad Smith? Maybe it was, um, what was his name? Shumway, dude from Kansas, said you could take a live squirrel pre-spawn, drop in front of a brush pile, and a big flat would come out and eat it. They're so aggressive. I like the green sunfish just because they're easier to get. Well, I mean, they're easy to get, but this is just easy it. To you you can get anything you want, unlimited quantities. Like you can, somebody's going to deliver it on your doorstep, and you can have anything you want, and you have every single thing to take care of it that you need. Then what probably are probably a large gizzard gizzard shed, dude? There's no way that you're not picking gizzard shed or a large carp. I do like carp. You know, I think the appeal with carp to me is that they're just hard to get consistently. So when you get one, you just think they're magical, and they're not really magical. I've done all right with them. Yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth about it. And they're hardy. I do like that they're hardy. They are. They are. Um, But I think for me, I'd be with you on the shad part. Or green worms. I haven't used as much of them. Yeah, that was a total joke. <laughs> People throw that one out there all the time, and if anybody's listening to this, they want to throw me some feedback on it. Maybe there's something more to it. Maybe you can send me a picture of some fish that you've caught on it. But I know worms catch big fish, and like especially balls, like worm balls catch big fish. I just haven't done it all that much, and maybe I need to do more of it. But I have multiple people who are saying, like, oh, you need to use green worms. I don't, I don't know, maybe color plays a part, but I don't know. Worms, worms catch fish. Flatheads like worms. Catfish like worms. Maybe there's more to it, but I'm skeptical. 
I'm going with the gizzard shad. I've used worm balls after heavy rain and caught small ones, but never large ones. Yeah, that's what that's what I've read the majority of time. And people say like, and well, it's the right place, what, right times. What do you thing. think about the anthropomorphism anthropomorphism of a fish and like giving reasons to things that we don't entirely understand, like? It rains, worms come out, so that's the time to use balls and worms, but there's no way. Like, how do you definitively know that the reason the fish is eating is because of the reasons you give it? Uh, I mean, it could just be... Could coincidence? Just, yeah, coincidence or a fish just shows up. Like, I'm hungry. There's something to eat. I would have eaten this ball of worms, or I would have eaten a eight-pound live carp, <laughs> but uh, the ball of worms is here, so I'm going to eat that instead. I, I think there's something to that. I mean, as far as right time, right place, right bait. If there's a fish there that's hungry, it's going to eat what's there. I don't know. That, that's what I think more than anything. And anybody listening, this that is the wonderful voice uh, of Wes Zeroost. And uh, he's local catfish expert. I wouldn't I – th- I think that's what people call I – d- I never call him that to his face. But uh, that's what we're going to say. Weston catches some fish. Weston's good time. Weston. I drive the struggle bus to Flatheads. <laughs> and he drives a boat, which uh, makes me like him a lot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the whole gizzard shad thing, if I can only pick one. Although worms would open up the avenue uh, of being able to catch everything else. But I guess we're back to only getting a fish one. Yeah, if you're running just worms, you're going to end up losing a lot of baits. Yeah, but you get as much as you want. As much as you want. Yeah. All right, catching bait. Catching bait? Yeah. Simplify it. Simplify I feel it. like people overcomplicate things. I just find a bend in a small stream that I know have, has bait in it and fish it with night crawlers. How often do you do that? I don't do that. I know you can do that, but I don't or feel I like it's most... Hole. But I don't feel like it's most time efficient. Like, no. What about just going to a pond and catching bait? Pond works too. Pond or lake that I know has bait fish that I'm looking for. Yeah, I, that absolutely works. Um, or I'll wing it and go toss cast nets until I win or get mad and go home. Or tear a rotator cuff. Yeah, or a net. Or a net. <laughs> Hopefully you tear a net before you tear a rotator cuff. I don't know. I mean, there might be something to be said too for uh, catching bait out of the waterway that you're fishing at. And some people swear, and by some people nobody I've ever talked to, but I read about it in a book once that catching your bait from the body of water that you are fishing at, that bait performs better than bait caught from farm ponds. I've heard people say that too. But what do you think? I don't think it matters if the species is in that body of water. It doesn't matter which body of water you catch it in, as long as it's the same species that's available. Well, I can see some merit to it, and once, not anthropomorphizing things, but uh, like people talk about how smart fish are, and I think fish are stupid, that they just react things to things based on instinct, which is based on, you know, environmental con- conditions. But anyway, um, wait, what were, where were we? catching bait oh catching bait so this isn't anthropomorphizing it's more of talking about how one animal is similar to another animal but if you have a domestic deer compared to a wild caught deer if i were to walk into a pen with domestic deer with a 12 gauge loaded with slugs those deer are going to walk around like they did with every other person who walks into that pen. But if you had a pen of wild deer that you just shoved, like you shoved the deer, wild deer into this pen and you walk in there, they're going to be freaking out. And sometimes I wonder how much that plays into the live baits you use. Cause we're talking live bait, not cut bait, dead bait, whatever we're talking live bait and how those fish are swimming in the river with the predators you're trying yeah, to catch. Like they're aware of what's going to eat them. There might be something to that. Well, what do you think? 
I would think that they might be more lively, more nervous about being held in one spot, as you, opposed to one that was caught in a farm pond that just swims around and eats garbage all day. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth because I ca- caught them out of farm ponds, and when a big fish shows up, sometimes your rod tip isn't doing anything, and then all of a sudden, thoop, they get eight. But then sometimes a big fish shows up and your rod tip starts bouncing big time and freaking out and then they get smoked and sometimes they just freak out because they're freaking out I will say sometimes it seems like the bait fish caught in the river seem to stay alive a little longer than bait fish caught in a like pond like they're tougher yeah like they're not like just they've a bunch had, of pansies. had a hard life <laughs> on the mean streets of yeah the... current and ice jams and you know stuff trying to eat them constantly I forgot about ice jams. I couldn't imagine. Oh, that'd be tough. Well, it'd be tough if you're living in like shallow water. But if you're in the bottom of a 20-foot hole somewhere and you have three foot of ice piling up above you, like who cares? Well, just hope that that piece of ice the size of a house doesn't decide to roll over on top of you. <laughs> Like and the one that sunk the Titanic the and then it killed, rolls over and kills you. <laughs> yeah, that would suck. I don't know. Once again, I don't think fish are capable of that thought. They just do what they've done for hundreds of thousands of years. And it's the ones worked. that make it keep going and the ones that don't do something, you know, don't. It doesn't matter what kind of bait you're using. Honestly, if you have like a jet skier zipping over the top, of where you're fishing at. And fortunately for me, like, well, fortunately for me and Wes, because we live in the same area, it's not like a major concern. High water, we get jet skis and pleasure boaters. Right. But I I, I haven't seen very many. I don't know if I've ever seen a jet skier on any river around here. You fish a little different area than I do. Yeah, but it's not that much different. And... Like down further south, you see a, a people running the river with jet skis, and it's annoying when you're just sitting there enjoying the tranquility of the river and the pristine wilderness. Then all of a sudden, you hear the wah, two stroke zipping by. Only two stroke, nothing but. <laughs> um, I don't know. You ever ridden a jet ski? No. Really? No, I haven't. I, we grew up with one. I've towed several of them, but I've never ridden And that's one. no joke, because they break down all the time. Yeah. Well, I guess it'd be no different than, you know, any vehicle you drive around just to tear it up. You're going to tear it up, and it's going to break down. I suppose jet ski's about the same. And jet ski's the hoopty of the river. The hooped? Well, what do you, what do you mean? Hoopty, hunk, hunk of junk car. Oh, I'm following you now. I'm kind of slow. Just a beater car. Well, some of them are, but I don't know. Sometimes you see, you ever seen like, well, have you ever seen a nice jet ski on the river? No. Say everyone I've ever seen on the river is your hoop D. Yeah. Usually they're the ones that are homemade trailers and there's six of them on there and only three of them run. And there's those zi- are the they're, ones. they're like ratchet strapped on top of each other yeah. like they're kayaks. Or they're loaded in the back of a truck. They back down the ramp into the water. I've never seen that one. I've seen them put them in the back of a van before on a lake. I've seen a kayak in the back of a van. You know, they backed a van down the swimming beach into the water and then loaded the jet ski in the back of the van. Do you... Do you think less of a person for doing that? Or do I'm you actually think... kind of proud that they, they were willing to do that. That's I where think, I'm at. I'm happy for them. Because a lot of people would say, I don't have a trailer. There's no way I'm getting my jet ski to the river. Well, they don't have bearings to worry about when they're in the van. That's true. Trailer's not going to break down if That's you don't true. have one. Well, and for um, a guy who doesn't really love towing a trailer around, um, I do it when I have to, which seems to be a lot anymore. I can appreciate the simplification of just putting your jet ski in the back of your van. It would have been more impressive if the van had rollers in the back. That could be a marketing option. Yeah, we could make a roller trailer van. And talk about how you don't have to grease any bearings. Yeah, I'm not sure you can put a 20-foot sea arc in there, but we could probably figure it out. I, I don't think we can figure that one out. Yeah, we'd have to. We'd have to stretch her out a little bit. Maybe a stretch limo. 
the, this is bad. <laughs> my my first thing I thought of when you said that was a hearse. <laughs> a hearse. A hearse with the sea arc in the back. Taking catfish to the other side. <laughs> that should be a meme. <laughs> Do you want to talk about your legendary meme-making ability? There has been a few occurrences where I've made several good memes for Spencer's Facebook. Well, and varieties of others, but uh, I'm not a meme guy, and I've never been inspired to make a meme. Like, when when a meme, when you make a meme, is there... Or is it premeditated, or is this just out of nowhere? Some are out of nowhere. Some are just, I like to make them relatable for the, the target demographic. I, yeah, I, I like to make them, usually for certain people. few choice people, I like to make them, because I know they'll enjoy them. So I can, I can relate to that. Like, I have a writing list of things that... Like, what makes one river certified? And it's just ongoing, and I continue adding to the list. If anyone would like to send me uh, ideas on things that you consider river certified, uh, definitely do it. Uh, my email is spencer at rivercertified.com. But uh, I have a running list. I'll probably make a video of it at some point in time. I'm kind of excited about making the video. Wes is going to be in the video, and he doesn't even know it yet. You have made a river certified video. What makes you river certified? Right, right. Well, this is going to be part deuce. Oh, there's been some 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 things that have happened recently that could go in there. Well, if you think of anything river certified, you just interject at any moment <laughs> and inform me because uh, there's a variety of things. It's not always fishing related either. It's just like life on the river, spending time on the river. To me, that's the biggest flipping thing. Flipping your kayak first trip, losing yeah. your shoes in fifty-eight degree water, and watching then, your cowboy or your steel-toed boots float down the river, and, and then toughing it out for four more hours and fishing anyway with one boot in your kayak. Because uh, I watched them float right by me, and I went to grab them, and I got hands on one, and the other one just tickled my fingertips as I watched it float down. And we were both more concerned about the rods and the bait than we were shoes and anything else. Well, I'm just was glad to see you pop up out of the water. That You went under and then I'm just waiting for you to pop back up. It wasn't a long time, but it felt like an eternity. I'm like, I hope this, this guy pops back up. Well, I'm glad it was my fault. I wanted to fight somebody and it was my own fault. So, Yeah, at least you weren't pissed off at me. <laughs> so we'll call that a win. Yeah, first kayak trip, rough time. <laughs> to to say the least. Well, I don't know. I've seen threw my back out launching the kayak too to begin that day. Well, it's, you you fought through. Well, just think about how tough, much tougher you are now. Yeah. All the adversity you overcame on that trip. Yeah, had to take my clothes off and put rain gear on because it was dry, and then tore my rain gear pants, and then fished in torn pants. Anybody who's thinking about kayak fishing, small streams. Those are not abnormally or abnormalities. That's kind of just the way things go. Lots of times. Choose one with less wood. If you're going to start out. Right. So I've seen your shoes floating down the river. I don't know what's uh, I keep my running list of things floating down the river. We fished out fishing rods before, broken ones. But those weren't floating. Like, just imagine things you see floating downstream. Well, here's one. This one wasn't floating either. And riddle me this. Did somebody put this here, or did it just happen to work out? I was floating downstream, and there was a branch that was sticking out of the water, but not straight up. Like It was like curved, so it went out of the water and then back in. And there was a, a slightly level spot on top, and there was a single size 12, my size, Reebok jogging shoe, sneaker, gym shoe, whatever you want to call it, sitting on top in almost perfect condition. Did you find the other shoe? No. <laughs> uh, big one I find are inner tubes and footballs. Foot, I've never seen a football floating down the river. Let me, let me pull out my list just to 
I've even seen canoes. Without people in them? Yeah. I've seen canoes with people in them. No, I've seen them where they come back and try to get them out, but I've seen several canoes rammed in tree piles. I've seen refrigerator. Seen refrigerators. Were you with me when the water heater floated down the river? No. Tied up? No. It was high water. I'm gonna add that to the list. Yeah, water heater, rusty old water heater. Water. Plastic barrels are a big one too. I don't know if I have that on the list either. Seen a handful of those five gallon buckets. Seen those. Flip flops. I don't see them floating down river. Usually I don't they're see stuck them, in but the I mud. see them stuck in like log jams and stuff. What is the classiest liquor bottle you've seen floating down the river? I've seen the the most high priced one that I can confirm is Grey Goose. I've seen a Jose Silver. Mm. I don't even know how much those cost. I'm not sure. Sounds expensive. No, I do have buckets on the list. Fridge, buckets, coolers. Have you ever seen a railroad tie? No, I haven't. Not even on the Missouri? I've seen them on the bank, but never floating down. I've seen dead deer and hogs floating down the Missouri. Got dead deer. Tell you what, every time I see a railroad tie, and I've seen two, every, each time I just th- think about how hard that would be on a lower unit. Yeah. <laughs> Those things are stout. I mean, they're stout, and even in water, they're not going to move that much. Plus, if you're going 50 mile an hour. Yeah, I've hit a, rail, or a bridge piling at about 30 miles an hour, and it gets expensive rather quick. Yeah. Brand new lower unit expensive. Yes. Jose Silver is not that expensive. Really? According to Google. Oh, man. 20 bucks? Yeah. I'm, I'm not around that classy of people, I guess. $20 bottle liquor, classy people. I don't know what uh, a... I think Grey Goose, depending on how big you get, like 32 ounce would probably be, what, 60 bucks? Let's ask the Google. Asking the Google machine right now. It says for one liter, thirty nine ninety nine to fifty seven ninety nine. Or a one seven five is fifty three ninety nine to seventy five ninety nine. That's stout enough for me. So Grey Goose still the leader in the classiest liquor bottle floating downstream. Seen plenty of uh, a local favorite is uh, Hawkeye vodka. Yeah, you'll see those. I'd say you see those with the most uh, regularity. Yeah. There's enough Bud Light cans to make Teslas for the next hundred years, too. <laughs> That's no joke. But you see most of them stuck in, like, brush piles and stuff. It's... I pick up as many as I can. Usually I carry trash bags in the tackle bag to clean up after everybody. Well, that'd be that's the way to do it, really. I, I don't know. I don't understand the whole littering thing. Like, if you carried it in, you, you can carry it out because... Obviously, he carried it in. Well, I figure if I'm within walking distance of the truck, it's easy enough for me to pick it up and haul it out. Or if you're in a boat or canoe, you yeah. have, or kayak, you have plenty of room to throw your stuff around. But another pet peeve would be the uh, bonfires on the boat ramp for me. Oh, I, I'm not a fan of having to clean your bonfire off the boat ramp. Or what about the rocks? Oh, well, that's more of a lake thing because the lakes freeze over. And then people throw rocks on the wa- on the ice oh, to yeah. check how thick it is. I'm guilty of that too, though. Jesus, <laughs> I don't ice fish either. What? Well, so, all right. Then what propelled you to do such a thing? Just to see if it go through. Just the wonder. Yeah. Instinctual, like going back to bait. It was instinctual. Fair enough. <laughs> if I can pick it up and throw it, we're gonna try. And what happened? It didn't go through, oh. so it was thick enough to walk on. So when it melted, it sank to the bottom on the boat ramp. Oh, I never throwing them on a boat ramp. Oh, just okay, off the bank. That's what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, on, on the boat ramp. Have you ever seen a deer gut pile on a boat ramp? I have. I've seen the carcasses on the boat ramp in the parking lot. Matter of fact, really? Yeah. Someone drives down, kicks them out of the back, and leaves. Uh, these. Uh, so around where we're at, there's a lot of public land uh, along rivers for a variety of reasons, but it's there. So people put their boat in and they'll run up and down the river to their various hunting spots. And it's not uncommon for someone to shoot a deer 
from wherever they're hunting at. They have their, their tree stand, you know, tucked up in the middle of nowhere, which is a good place to put a tree stand. And then they'll shoot a deer and then they'll come back and gut the deer and leave the gut pile on the boat ramp. It just makes me pissed off for a lot of reasons. And because I mean, a lot of that stuff you can eat, you know, like, like liver and heart. Yeah. It's delicious. Why would you leave that on the boat ramp? And then the other side of it is what if somebody else wants to use the boat ramp? They don't want to see a gut pile laying there. Why you could just gut the deer where you shot it at. Yeah. That, well, there's a lot of guys that believe that if you gut a deer where you shot it, other deer won't come around. All right, then gut you drug it back to your boat. Then gut it on the on the bank by the boat. And I used to be a big deer hunter and I've I've gutted a lot of deer and shot deer over gut piles. They do not care. I'm I'm not sure where people well, get that from. And you could make the argument like just because some deer don't care doesn't mean others won't. And just because the one and maybe the one that does care is the one that's like your 180 inch yeah, wall true. hanger. But have some consideration for like other people, yeah. you know? Yeah. You're not going to Walmart and dressing them out in the parking lot. Right. And the, the, this is public property, which means it's everybody's property, which means in my mind, and maybe I'm off, but in my mind you should be considerate of other people because it's other people's property too. So leave a gut pile at a public easement to this public property is just uh, being inconsiderate. Yeah, you, you damage them enough, they'll close them down and you won't have that anymore. Yeah. You kind of sound like the old man, like <laughs> throwing his finger, like, you listen here. Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, quit being negative Nancy's for a minute and transition to something that was actually fun to talk about or well depends on how you look at it should you or should you not avoid snags in the river it depends on what i'm after if i'm fishing for channel cats i'll fish near snags but if i'm fishing for flatheads i'll fish right up in the mess what if it's post front high sun no clouds and all those precious little delicious channel cats right up in the stuff right up in the stuff in two foot of water yeah are you gonna lose tackle over there if that's what i'm after if i want to bring fish home or catch fish put them in the boat gonna go where they're at can't catch them where they're not how many hooks do you think you go through a year last year i would say just catfishing i would say maybe 60 yeah, that same. have been lost, and that was with you know friends and family fishing too. Oh, me personally, just me, as in one person, I go through a hundred hooks a year. I bet I went through probably about sixty because I bought two boxes, the fifty count boxes, and I'll I'll bet they're pretty shallow right now. Yeah, I might be undershooting it, and I might be overshooting it, but I would I would say probably sixty would be a good guess. See, I'm I'm the guy who says. Snags are where the fish are, and so there are times where I'll bounce. A, you can feel your bait bounce right. down to the bottom. Right, or you'll have to. I like the best where you're right over a snag and you have to drop it down into it, and you weave the bait. Like you try to drop it here, and it hits a log, so you can't get it to the bottom. Yeah. So you have to like move it over six inches. You're trying to weave your bait in between logs, trying to get it to the bottom. Um, and then sometimes I wonder. If that's even the right play, because yeah, a lot of fish associate with the bottom, but there's a lot of fish that just tuck up right in the middle, like three to five feet under the water, right in this pile of logs. I don't know. Those are tough to target though. I'd say the bulk of fish are still probably right along the right bottom. Right along the bottom. Your highest percentage place is on the bottom. But I say lose all the hooks you can, get right in the junk and... The majority of the time, even if perfect conditions and you can pull a fish out of cover, well, you're going to pull more fish out when you put your bait in the cover. So I might nibble on the edges for a little bit, but I feel most confident when my stuff is right in the junk. I will switch up occasionally and tie a light leader to my weight if I'm fishing in the junk. Yeah, but that's like rocks. 
But if I'm losing, I would rather lose the weight than lose a fish if I but, get bit. But if you're in rocks, you're not going to lose any sinkers. Or sorry, if you're in logs, you're not going to lose any sinkers. No, but you still, I mean, you still can. There's still the chance. <sighs> I'd never have that happen. Or very rarely. Like, it might get stuck in, like, the fork of a log, but I can count on one hand. Usually you can get those back out. But if I'm fishing right up in the garbage, I'll tie a lighter leader to the to the weight. So if I am going to lose something, it's going to be the weight. See, I don't think it matters. I, I I just do it for personal preference. No, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just personally don't think it matters. 95% of the time, it's sinker slides for me. What if, um, well, I guess that goes back to me, which is fine. So, Spencer, what if you knew, but you never know, that's the part of the wonder, it's like the fact that you don't know. If I were, I say I don't care about a sinker dropper, what if that lack of sinker dropper someday cost me an 80-pound flathead? I'll be here to tell you told you so. <sighs> would you really do that, though? I would be sympathetic. In, in the but, pain? The but pain I would tell you, I'd be like, hey, man, I, I tie him lighter leader. And I might punch you. If that's what's going to hang me up, I'd rather lose that than the fish. But you never know. But then no. that's, that's why you do those things, because you never know. And if you're in a boat running multi-rod setups, you can do different things. But sometimes that's part of the problem. It's like you run so many different things, you can't keep them straight. No. And then you don't know what made a difference. Usually I try to fish left to right and kind of keep an idea of what, what I got going on. It's very systematic, Wes. I try to good keep a, them good subtle, idea. Subtle, good idea. Subtle differences, but... Enough to see if one thing's preferred over the other. So if you're fishing 10 rods, you think you can keep it straight? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm only allowed three. Well, here, but a lot of places you can fish as many as you can. I would fish three anyway. That's about all my mind can handle. Really? I'd fish, I think... If I'm on the bank, sure. No, imagine you're in a big river situation, like on the Mississippi River. You can fish as many as you want. What did and we have in Alabama when we had them all go down, except for one? Six. Eight? Six? I think we ran six. We had two out the side. Yeah, we did. We had six. We two had out f- the side, two out the back. Four out the back. Four out the back. So. Yeah. Which is a good amount. Maybe I'd run six. Six is a lot, especially by yourself. Six is a lot. But anchor fishing, it's not so bad. Drift fishing, at least in a river, reservoir it wouldn't be as big of a deal, but in a river where you're dealing with pretty consistent snags. Six is a lot. Yeah. Well, doing that commercial, <coughs> that that was that was four rods, and I was technically fishing them by myself, and that was that got kind of hectic while while driving the boat too by yourself. Yeah. You're fishing by yourself with four rods. Yeah. That that well, gets right de- up there. In your defense, that was a boat you're not familiar with. That is true. But it was a much bigger boat, a lot more room to play play with. Yeah. Stuff was a little more spread out than my boat. I'm trying to help you out, man. <laughs> no, it's it's a lot. I suppose if you got used to it, that that's the biggest thing. Practice makes perfect too. A lot of times, I do fish with more rods because I fish with the girlfriend and she's on her phone, so I'm watching her poles and my poles. So, well, there's difference. Legally, from... I'm not fishing. Right, those, right. But... No, I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I'd still think anchor fishing. Six is a very reasonable number by yourself, and then working up to eight. Any more than eight, it, honestly, it's not the the dealing with them. It's the keeping them baited. Are you talking still from fishing from a boat or fishing from a bank? Well, because you're thinking from a river, too. Like, if like you're like you could from fish a bank, ri- it would just depend on how much space you have, too. Right, but what about a reservoir? Like, we're not talking Mississippi or a uh, small river or any flowing current. Like, a if reservoir. If back down south, I would say six. If you were running around in that reservoir, six would be probably a good number. I think you could fish eight real easy out of a reservoir. Yeah, you probably could. I would be more comfortable with six. I, if you had stout rod holders and you weren't worried about a rod shooting in the water. Oh, if you could just leave them on there? Yeah. While you deal with whatever? Yeah. I could see that. I, I would have zero reservations fishing eight or more on a reservoir. And then I feel like eight out of a boat in a big river 
or reservoir situation, it's very doable. But you wouldn't be sitting down very much. No. You'd be watching a lot of rods. Yeah. And you get one big fish, you're going to have to keep them out of everything. As long, unless you space everything out as you should. What a wonderful problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> Deal with that one when we get to it. Now, snags, snag would be a pain. Um, boat sway, though. Like, because boat sway, I'd say as far as the reason I get snagged more than any time, whether you're in a kayak or a boat bank, it's obviously not an issue because the bank isn't swaying. But boat sway, dragging your sinkers here and there and everywhere, you're getting snagged all the time. And I don't know, like you're you're the boat guy more so than I am. Like what? What what do you do to stop boat sway? Well, wherever possible when I'm fishing, I try to like get right along the bank or right along something I can tie off to at least twice to try and prevent that or even throw out a drift sock to try and help. Do you so how I know people say drift sock and I've done that. And I'm just not convinced it's I, the I've had mixed results. I mean it it hasn't. I maybe I'm using them wrong, but do you think it's user error? Probably on my part because I I haven't used them a whole lot. And maybe that's my problem too. And maybe it works better on bigger rivers with heavier current too. That would make most sense because most of the places on small rivers you're fishing related to the shoreline, and you have swirling currents. It's not like a strong current that's flowing in one direction. You know, you have one current going one way, one current going the other way. And if you throw out a drift sock, you have a push of water, and all of a sudden, instead of being straight, you're five feet to the right. So you wonder why you even did that. Why didn't you just pull up on the bank? Yeah, I found some good spots, and you anchor up on them, even with a 20-pound anchor. And you're trying to fish right on the seam, and next thing you know, the back of the boat's in that eddy, and you're spinning around in circles and pulling anchor. Instead of being a boat, you're a top? Yeah. Talk about back in the day. Back in the day, it was whatever combo I could afford, and nuts and bolts and a giant bulk pack of hooks, and away you went. Yeah, but what would you tell someone? All right, so imagine this scenario. Uh, you love fish. You love to eat fish. You love to go fishing. You have no money. You want to catch fish. How can you catch fish? Well, let me re- let me back that up. Yeah, give me a budget this, we're working with. Well, here. this could be this. Could, you give don't, me your life story here. Well, you <laughs> we'll help you out. Thanks, bud. <laughs> uh, you don't have to necessarily be poor. Like maybe you just don't want to spend much money, and that's fine too. How can you go out and catch dinner without spending a bunch of money? Where what what what, what are you shaving off first? The high-dollar rods and reels would be the first. Really? I would have shaved off the boat. Well, I thought we were talking just poor man. Well, I let, figured, let's, I let's start. said you didn't have a boat. Let, let's start from the the top and of the uh, Most, fishing echelon. So we'll take the boat off, take the c- canoe off, the kayak off. We talking walking down public land and trying to fish? Well, I mean, public-private, asking permission don't cost no money. No, but you're talking, just walking in, trying to do it as cheap as humanly possible. Yeah, uh, something above, well, what practicality. Most people aren't, you know, cutting a branch off a tree and tying some fishing line they pulled out of a dumpster. You do see people do Well, that. I'm not saying I have seen can't. a guy use the drawstrings for window blinds. For diddy poles, still had the little plastic bells on them. I wonder if he caught them. No, he didn't. They, they, I, <laughs> well, was I, it a money issue or just a lack of bait pla- or poor bait placement issue? I think it was just a lack of supply issue. Must not ever want to pull his window blinds up. What do you mean supply issue? Well, no string. He pulled the, the string right out of his window blinds. Yeah, but he has the the string tied to his diddy pole or fishing pole, and he didn't catch him. But why didn't he catch him? Wrong place, maybe. I don't know. 
That's that's what I was curious about. It was right at a boat ramp too. Oh, things. <laughs> so that's why you saw it. I don't know where he's shaving money off. Like, if you had to scale it back, how how are you cutting corners? Or it's not even cutting corners; it's cutting cost. If it were me, chances are it would probably be a one rod. Like, can't afford a bunch of stuff. I'd probably just get one decent, affordable rod with. Do you think that's the best way, though? Like, to have one decent rod or to have multiple combos that can do the job but just don't last? I would say you could probably go either way with that. I'm I'm leaning towards I'd rather have two combos. I grew up on a super small stream, so a lot of times there wasn't room for more than one. Sure. You're fishing just little tiny holes between brush and stuff and... That's what you got. I mean, if you're near a big river or something, yeah, you could probably get away with more combos. I don't know. I think as far as efficiency sake. If you're fishing to, like, feed yourself. No, or just, it's just. Just to get some food or, you know, you maybe, just want to fish. Maybe maybe I should do a better job explaining the context of this scenario. This scenario, you have a. Well, which one do we want to go with? Like, you don't have a whole lot of money? Well, say, like, high school kid type of money. Yeah, how about that? Like, we're, you're a high school kid, and, you know, you have some money, you do some odd jobs, or maybe you work part-time at A&W, serving up, you know, uh, what, what, do they, what do they serve at A&W? I've been there forever. Root beer floats. Root beer floats and uh, chili dogs. There you go. Yeah, and you're making uh, 8 bucks an hour doing that. So you got a little bit of money, but not a ton. What what are you going to invest your money in the most? And where are you cutting costs? Because you got enough to have some stuff, but not all the stuff. And fishing is equipment. Like I would say game. I would try and shoot for two poles and maybe enough tackle to keep me going. Yeah, so what tackle are you getting? I would buy, like, when I was a kid, I bought, like, True Turn hooks, like the big bulk pack. Oh, those are those are good stuff, man. True Turn stainless steel hooks. Yeah. Yeah. And they turned. Yeah. Just like, um, so the, the local legend, semi-local legend, is Denny Haugren. And uh, he's a guide on uh, the Rock River in Illinois, and that's what he always said. Five-aught True Turn hooks. Yeah, we were running two-aughts. Well, for with the night crawlers and crawdads, that's yeah, about crawdads. Right. So you got your your bulk pack of two aught true turn hooks. We would raid the garage for nuts and old bolts and okay. use them for weights. Didn't okay. have money for the leads. All right, so you shave some money on the sinkers. You invested big time. And there was no money for extra leader line either. Whatever was in the reel was what was your leader. Okay, so you didn't buy a spool leader line, saving money there, investing in the true turns. What else? Probably a rod holder, bank rod holder. You actually spent money on rod holders? Usually I found them. As I say, what about the old, oh, oh, you found rod holders. Yeah. Say, I found rod holders, but they're fork sticks. Oh, you know, we found a lot of them. You have you, um. Five-gallon bucket, that was tackle box, too. Okay. So, you put your package of hooks, your weights in there, and you'd have your crawdads crawling around on top of them. And I feel that was your chair. I feel like that's a viable option, though, for anybody. You know, like, we're talking about cutting corners, but that's not a bad strategy. And, and if then you, if you caught fish, you had a bucket to carry them home. Right, with. right. And then if you wanted to splurge on top of everything you just said, you got uh, a seat for your five-gallon bucket. Yeah. You're you were big timing though. You make it sound like you didn't have nothing, but you had your five gallon bucket and you had a place to sit and you even had rod holders. Yeah. That's Actually it was an timing. old pickle bucket that somebody brought home from work. Those are solid though. Yeah, they are. And then you don't have to worry about like all the contaminants in them. Yeah, too. they were they were triple rinsed. Said right on the side. Oh. <laughs> I've never in my life owned a pickle bucket. Would I catch more fish had I owned a pickle bucket? Probably if you had a pickle bucket. Fair enough. So you're cutting costs as sinkers, tackle bag, leader line, splurging on the hooks, 
Cutting costs at seats. Yep. Bait buckets. And there's a lot of terminal tackle stuff that you're not buying either. Like well, you don't slides have slides and beads and swivels and. Yeah, you, you honestly don't need a swivel. No. The only reason I ever run a leader and a swivel is to save weights. You know, you run a heavier main line, a lighter leader, but your leader is strong enough to handle the fish you want to catch. And then whatever your main line is, it's bigger than that. So I usually run 85 and 60, 85 pound main line, 60 pound leader. And, um, that's, that's strictly only to save my sinker. Cause most of the time I'm fishing wood cover and my hook's going to get snagged. And then if my leader is a little bit lighter, it's going to bust. I'm going to save my swivel. I'm going to save my sinker slide. I'm going to save my sinker. But if I didn't care about that. I'd run my main line straight to my hook and have a sinker on there, and that would catch fish just as good, if not better. And I would be running mono, too, for the fact that it's cheaper, and it's less abrasion. Yeah, all right. You can make the argument, though. Braid is an investment. It is. Because braid costs substantially more, but it's going to last way, 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 way longer. Yeah, uh, as far as line goes and cost, if you're if you're trying to save on cost, mono is going to be the way to go. But is it? Th- that's what I'm saying, though. It's going like to in the long get damaged run, in the sun. It's going to you know. When I fish mono, I had to respool twice a year, sometimes three times a year. Yeah, but so, I've I've got reels that have three year old braid on them, and they're still going strong. Yeah, at least they they say it'll last five or six years. Yeah. And I have, yeah, I have braid that's at least that old. Yeah. I get I get crap from dudes who fish regularly and have access to um, affordable, very affordable fishing equipment, or maybe they're pro staff and get stuff for free, and they make fun of me because my braid is all faded. And just because it's faded doesn't mean it's not as strong. I refer to it as battle-tested. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Yeah. You, you and your words. Yeah. All my all my reels are sun fa- or all my rods are sun faded, and I got a lot of friends with bright new shiny rods, and mine are all faded out. All yours have character. Yeah, some of them are your old ones. They have character. <laughs> Battle tested. Battle tested. Sometimes. <laughs> some of my best reels are old used reels I bought secondhand, and well, that's something right there. That's a big expense that people could cut real fast. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people think you need to buy brand new reels. I can't, well, I can't remember last time I bought new reels, but there was a period of probably five to seven years, somewhere in that range, where I did not buy a single brand new reel. I didn't hardly buy a reel, and the reels that I bought prior to that and the reels that I bought during that time period were every single one of them was used. Garage sale season is fire. Garage sale, um... Any fishing flea market, although you're going to pay more at a fishing flea market. That's not where you're going to find your bomb deals. Sometimes you even find some good stuff. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, and there's a difference between time tested reels, too. Well, around for a long time and they're still, still usable and people still love them. Absolutely. And you can have the best and you're probably going to pay new and you're probably going to pay full price. But, then you have quality. Like there's a difference between the best and quality. Uh, you can have quality at an affordable price. If you go down the route that we're talking like right now and will it do one thing the best? Maybe, probably not. Um, but will you get it at a very, very reasonable price? Absolutely. Like there's so many pin. Well, I mean, you drop whatever brand name you want. It's not going to make the likelihood of you catching fish any better. Absolutely. The more money you spend, it's not going to give you any better chances. Absolutely. Maybe of landing it, but of actually catching the fish. Maybe. If you don't have a reel, you're not going to catch fish anyway. Well, you just got to prioritize things. Like... You don't have to spend a lot of money to get a reel that casts really far. No. You don't have to spend a lot of money to have a reel that has a pretty good drag system. You don't have to spend a lot of money to have a reel that has a high gear ratio, but you probably have to spend a lot of money to get a reel that has all of those. Yeah. So if you break it down to whatever is the most important to you, like to me, having a reel that is just decent at all of them, I have no problem finding those reels. Um, maybe I'll make a video on that. Like, 
I mean, it'd be tougher for me to want to go out and use a $300 reel and beat it up and drag it around the woods. <laughs> That's a really good point, Rather too. than buying a $25, $30 reel, <clears throat> excuse me, at a garage sale and take it out and beat it up when it's already been out and been abused. As long as it's clean and still works, you're going to be less likely to <laughs> it's only not as, use it. It's only as clean as you keep it clean, too. Yeah. Like, you could buy a junky reel, clean it up, and then... You make it dirty as you want um, and beat it up as much as you want. But I don't know. That's that's a really good point. And that's kind of the whole deal that I try to bring into all this is you don't want to spend a lot of money to get good stuff. And just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean it's good. You don't need it all at once either. That's a good point too. You can break yourself into it nice and slow. Figure yep. out what works for you and what doesn't. Well, if one person were to theoretically buy one, you can call it decent quality, whatever, whatever adjectives you want to use to describe this reel or rod or whatever else per year. Let's say you spend 250 bucks on a combo and you buy the reel used, you buy the rod used, you can get pretty dang nice rod and reel combo for 250 bucks. You get one per year and you do that for five years, you got a pretty good setup. As long as you're not so hard on things, you break things all the time. But uh, that's a pretty good spread. Five years. Five years, you got a great great setup of rods. And a rod, a set of rods where somebody looks at it and be like, wow, you must be rich. <laughs> you know? No, you just save your money, you hang on to it, and you get the deals when you can get the deals. Yeah, and you watch Facebook Marketplace and jump on them when you can. Well, that's it. If you have money in your pocket... And you don't spend it, and you just sit on it till you find the deal you want to you want to get. You can get some great ones. It's been my experience that if somebody's selling it on Facebook, typically they're in need of money, so they'll they'll be willing to move on it a little bit. Yes and no. It some, depends on what it is. Sometimes, like me, like I sell stuff because uh, I need to declutter things. I got too much crap. I'm anti clutter. I, I've had good luck buying decent reels on Facebook for good prices. Yeah, yeah, like sixty five hundreds for fifty bucks. You still do you still check Craigslist occasionally? That's kind of where I'm at with it too. It's it's kind of tapered off with Facebook Marketplace. It, it's hit or miss. I feel like if you keep your eyes peeled on Craigslist. That can be where some real deals are found. You won't find as much variety, but you know if you have something in mind, you have the cash for it, and you sit around and wait, and you keep your eyes peeled on both of them, I feel like the better deals pop up on Craigslist, or at least the more negotiable deals yeah. pop up on Craigslist. That's a better way of putting it, more negotiable. Some people are willing to trade, too, if you have stuff you're willing to trade. That's true. See, I have such particular taste that I know what I want and what I want is very specific. And when people offer trades, I'm immediately skeptical because yeah. most of the time I'd rather just have the cash. Yeah. I don't know. I luck out. I have a surplus of lead. I've traded a lot of weights for a lot of stuff. That'd work on me. <laughs> I have specific things I want, but I'll always take lead. That's how me and, fish, me and Spencer started fishing, was lead. Yes. <laughs> hey, I got a bunch of lead. You want some? Okay. Let's go fishing about Let, it. Let's go fishing about it. Now we're buddies. So let's talk about the first time we went fishing. It was high water. I know that. All right. It was high water. Did we even catch anything? No, we didn't. We had to run from lightning. I That's remember. right. But we were also fishing in a, a field and up on the sandbar and in the trees talking about losing tackle we were snagging you name it i think i snagged a fence post yeah that was the day you dug a couple broken fishing rods out of the river remember they were floating around no i don't yeah there was a bunch of busted fishing rods floating up and down the river. i don't remember that yeah you had me chase them down we dug them out of the river i'm trying to remember where were we oh we were all over we were no, but where where were the fishing rods at? Like, where they're floating down river? Yeah. They were like EVA foam handles, and all you saw was the handles floating out. Why don't I remember that? You're like, oh, fishing rod. We ran it down, and it was all busted to heck. 
Gosh, I wish I remembered that. That's one thing, like, no exaggeration. So I keep pretty detailed fishing logs of everything. And I spend anywhere from 170 to 220 days on the water a year. And sometimes things just run together. I'm about a third of that, so some of that stuff sticks. That's fair. Man, I can't remember that. I wish I did. Yeah, we caught no fish, but we pulled a lot of trash out of the river. That we day. saw ants. Yeah, we did. Climb, climbing up a tree. That was one of the most bizarre things. And it's, it's not the tiniest that... little willow tree, too. It had thousands of ants on it. Yeah, it's like they were on the tree, and the water started rising, and they just ran to the top. And then luckily for them, it crested. <laughs> and then they were just hanging out on the very tip of this willow branch. That river was, what, 10 foot higher than it typically is? Yeah, but in Iowa, I don't know if you can bust out the word typical river level because it just fluctuates so much. And that's one interesting thing about Iowa is we have a very strong agricultural presence, which, you know, when people think of Iowa, they think of corn. And um, one thing that goes along with agriculture is tiling. And tiling is where they run a bunch of pipes, basically plastic pipes underneath the ground with holes in them so when water when it rains water drains into these and is funneled out from these fields and it makes them dry substantially faster well the byproduct of that which it is what it is is that tile system causes water to drain out of these fields and dumps in these rivers really quick and these rivers shoot up and they drop down really quick so it's up and down up and down up and down which you don't have consistent flows really ever you know it's either dropping quickly or rising quickly and you have to have a lot of rain and very 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 saturated ground to maintain a semi-consistent river level and that's just part of the gig so growing up where i did too they did a lot of irrigating from the rivers too so you'd get to that season and the rivers were just low they could never keep up. Yeah, and that's that's just part of the gig, you know. You got to feed people, so it goes along with that. But it just makes for an interesting dynamic. And at this point in time, we'd had a lot of rain, and a lot of that rain and dumped in the river really quick, and it rose up. And for these ants, they they hung on, as far as I know. Yeah, and it makes reading the water a little more of a. Uh challenge at times well or more important well and it's because you have a lot of different waters to read yeah you know it's on a lot of rivers you where you have consistent flows and by a lot of rivers like with as much agriculture as there is across our country uh there's probably not a pile of rivers like this but any ones that you have a consistent flow reading the water is straightforward where you have one set of circumstances where they are the way they are and then you have and that's pretty much it, except for, you know, weather extremes. But in the Midwest, yeah, high waters, reading reading the river is way different then than it is in low water. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know about you, man, but I used to run the river without a fish finder or anything like that. And I would read the current and be able to pick out like what's underwater have a general idea like that's a log or that's a root wad from a tree or judging by the general river levels judging by uh the size of the river in the watershed and how i understand it this hole is probably about eight feet deep that's and how be I started and be pretty close and feel pretty good about it and then i got a fish finder I feel like it made me soft. Yeah, it spoiled you. Well, I feel like it's a difference. Well, is there a difference between making you soft and making you spoiled? Or is it the same thing? It's a little of the same thing. Do you think saying... I'm more nervous now that I spent all that money after I ripped my lower unit off than I've ever been. Yeah, all right. So back to the word, though, for soft versus spoiled. Would you rather be called soft or rather be called spoiled? I think I'd rather be called spoiled. Really? Yeah. I'm kind of up in the air about it. I like to be a hard mountain man. A spoiled hard mountain man. Spoiled. (laughs) All the bells and whistles, but I'm in the mountains. That's kind of a contradiction (laughs) in itself. 
Or a river man, hardened river man. Yeah. Used to keep a pole in the boat to check the depth where I was fishing. Back in my day, didn't <laughs> even need the pole. Well, I I always kept one just in case. Just you, in case I got curious. You ever ran a boat up on a sandbar and got I, stuck? I have. I've I've bitten it up the front of a boat. And buddy ran it up on a sandbar. And you flew out the front? Yeah, sitting in the, the trolling seat up in the front of the boat. Full tilt, and he ran it up in about four inches of water. I I went a flying for a little bit. I've always worried about that. Every time I've sat up in that chair on the front of the boat, like it, trolling chair is just you're on the front deck, right close to the very front of the boat, and there's an elevated pedestal, and you're sitting on the front. And I had a few chances where I've gotten to sit up there, and I always worry about that happening. The only like thing I was happy about flying. is there was nothing to slow me down other than sand and water. <laughs> One, Rather than a console. I don't know how happy you can be well. about that. Yeah, there was a lot worse things than being wet that could have happened. That's true. I don't know. I've never had the problem. I've always worried about it. It's never, never happened. I haven't done it personally, but I've I've been in a boat that's done it. Wait, I thought you just said you flew out of the front. Well, I wasn't driving it. But I've I've never personally ran a boat up on a. Well, but that's what I mean. Like oh. you're sitting in the front of the boat, and every time I've been sitting in the front of the boat, I've worried about us hitting something yeah. and me going flying. Yeah, there's always that. I don't know. I so I'm getting a jet, and I'm getting a, a jet. When I say I'm getting a jet, I'm not like talking about a jet that you're going to fly around the United States. I'm going to get a John boat. It's going to have a jet outboard, and I'm going to guide out of it. But that's one concern I have. Is your jet's going to be on your boat, not in a box in your basement? Well, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> like mine, like you. <laughs> well, you, you honestly, because with a jet lower unit, when you put a jet lower unit on a boat, you lose about what thirty percent horsepower. I think that's what they say: thirty percent of your top end. Yeah, and your boat with a prop runs pretty dang good. I feel like it goes a really appropriate speed for your boat, about thirty mile an hour, thirty thirty five. And then if you were to put that jet lower unit on there, you'd lose top end. Yeah. Which, you know, it's not the end of the world, but with, I feel like your boat moves the way it should now, and to lose that would, would suck. Um, the What I'm talking about is uh, I'm just worried about hitting something. With a client in the boat? Well, a client in the or boat. Or just trashing your boat? Either. Yeah. More More concerned about the individual... I'm also concerned about the boat. You know, it's not like one prioritized. They would both suck. But uh, definitely more worried about a client. I don't know. I've never ran a boat on a sandbar, and I'm just kind of worried that if, like, trying to avoid the cowboy mentality, you know, I have this horse, I'm going to ride it <laughs> type deal. I worry about more about rocks and logs than I do sandbars. Well, it's just, well, yeah, as far as abrupt stop. But if you hit a log in your boat, you can push off of the log. Yeah. If you're running through four inches of water and you bottom out a 2,000-pound boat. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, that's what that's what worries me. A lot of guys with jet drives run a winch on their boat for that reason. And that's kind of what I'm uh, kind of leaning towards doing. But I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. You got any parting thoughts for this? Not right off hand. No, this is this is your last chance to say My something. Last chance. Leave leave the folks with some words of wisdom or consideration or just a parting message for everyone to keep in mind. Drawing a blank. Man. Well, that that's allowed. Um my parting message is if you own a jet ski, don't drive it around Wes because uh, he might throw a sinker at you. And if you bring anything in, carry it out because... Uh, <laughs> don't drive your jet ski with a deer and gut it on the boat ramp. Parting message. My parting message is don't drive your jet ski with a deer and then gut it out on the ramp and then leave your trash on the boat ramp. And if you need sinkers, look for nuts and bolts. 
All right, that's it. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Really appreciate you listening and hope you catch giant. Now in Waypoint TV's 2023 Series Showdown. Your favorite hunting and fishing shows are going head-to-head. Visit waypointtv.com to vote and be entered to win a giveaway from Element Outdoors. Cast your votes during each round until the champions are crowned. Get in the game and vote in the Series Showdown. Presented by Expedition Enterprises and Vote Trader. Only at waypointtv.com. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.